It's now time for Let's Talk with Smitty on WSBS and on the free WSBS app. Good morning, everybody. This is Smitty, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk with Smitty. We are continuing our candidate conversations, and I'm very excited to have the uh, mayor of Salem, Massachusetts, uh, here with us today. Uh, Salem has f- has had 50 mayors, and Kim Driscoll is the very first female to serve in that position, and she's been there for 10 years. That's five elections. Is that correct, Mayor? You know, it's a little bit more. It is five elections, but we've got four-year terms. Oh. So I've actually uh, just elected to my fifth term, oh. so 16 years. Oh, congratulations. I didn't realize that. There's still so many, so many cities that still have two-year terms. It, it amazes me that two years is not enough to do a good job there, but congratulations on that. Um, we're very excited to have you on, on, on the show here today. We've had you know a lot of the candidates coming on, and it's a good way to introduce yourself to to uh, the Berkshires, and uh, in particular the Southern Berkshires, where which covers my entire district. But um, tell us, tell the listeners about yourself, and what what are what are your life experiences that kind of pulled you to public service? Thanks so much for having me on, and you know, frankly, giving all of the candidates a chance to connect and share a little bit more about themselves and their enthusiasm for running for office. In my case, I'm the mayor in Salem, interested in being your next lieutenant governor. Really feel like uh, as a as a mayor of a community, it's a, the challenges that you face are really a microcosm of the challenges that the state is facing. And being able to work on it in my hometown of Salem has been terrific. But thinking about ways that you can use that experience to benefit the Commonwealth. I think when our cities are working, uh, our Commonwealth is working, and I'm, I'm hoping uh, to use that experience and that opportunity to benefit all of Massachusetts uh, as a mayor. I think we've been on the front lines, and what drew me into public service really was I think local government really matters, Rep. You know, love what happens in the state house. Obviously, understand what's going on in Washington, but the branch of government that most people rely on every day educating your kids, keeping your neighborhood safe, investing in those places where you make memories comes from local government. And I love being able to sort of make a meaningful impact, work on things that matter, and I'm hoping, again, to bring that experience as a mayor to the state house and being a strong partner for our cities and towns. I think every corner of the Commonwealth has challenges, and uh, we're not going to address those challenges unless there's action at the local level. So that's what draws me, and that's what excites me about this opportunity and, frankly, about the work I do now. Well, I've, I've been blessed to serve with some wonderful uh, legislators from Salem. Uh, um, John Keenan, who's now the president of your university, and uh, and uh, Paul Tucker, just two fine gentlemen that were, were very dear friends. So you got a good pedigree down there in Salem. It must be something in the water. Well, I'm fortunate to have worked with both of them for sure. And uh, you're right. I, I think people who are in the legislature care about their communities. That's why you're doing this work. That's why uh, the folks that you mentioned, both John and Paul, were, were strong connections and really work closely with them. So it was an honor. Yeah, We're here with uh, Kim Driscoll. She's the mayor of Salem, and she's uh, running for lieutenant governor. Um, and I, I'm just so fortunate to have you on the, sh- on the show here today. I was looking at some of your priority issues, and uh, I-, I loved your phrase, afford- housing affordability. I've been flipping those two words, affordable housing, for a long time because of the stigma that I believe comes with affordable housing. But housing affordability is, is really paramount across the Commonwealth. What is the plan to, what is your plan to deal with uh, housing affordability? And in particular, I'm a great believer of home ownership. I think it's one way to break that generational cycle of poverty by helping people build equity. So how do we change that narrative from state government back down to the local level? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's the critical issue that we're facing in the Commonwealth, frankly, at every corner of the Commonwealth, even in places that may have uh, more affordable options. They're not more affordable to the people living in those communities. Um, in, in Salem, we've worked really hard to develop what we call a housing production plan. And this is something I think every community really needs. The good news is all of us are living longer just as a society, um, but it's putting a real crunch on housing. People are living longer, uh, which also means that uh, we don't have the typical turnover in the housing cycle, as you noted. And so we've got to have a production plan in place in each of our communities to think about where can we accommodate more housing. And we need to make sure it's not just driven by market forces, because that's always going to be towards the high end. And it's expensive to build housing in Massachusetts. The cost of the land uh, is expensive. The construction, the supply materials, those things are not inexpensive. And if particularly for the missing middle, that's the component in my community of folks who pour coffee, pour beer for a living, work and make enough resources where they don't qualify for a subsidy, but not so much that they can afford fast rising rents or even be in a position to own something. So looking at ways that we can ensure you have a housing production plan enables community members to think about who are we not serving? You really drill down. Do we need more housing for seniors? Do we need more housing for that missing middle? Is the type of housing we need more geared towards young adults? And that, those are the folks who I think we're really harming when we don't think about housing and allowing new housing to be built in our communities. I would love for a lot more of it to be home ownership based. We know that's the key source of wealth for folks as they think about uh, their, their biggest asset for many of us, certainly for me. Uh, and the inability for people to afford housing here, I think it's really going to curtail young adults staying in the Commonwealth. Uh, for me, housing is just a moral right. Everybody should have a right to a safe, accessible, affordable roof over their head. I think it's also key to the social determinants of health. If you don't have stable housing, you're typically food insecure. You can't get to medical appointments. There's a lot of trauma for young people. We have a number of students in my own district in Salem that are um, homeless or in unstable settings. You can't expect them to do well in school under those circumstances. So in my estimation, housing production plans, leveraging public land, we're actually looking at potentially putting housing at our high school campus. That can be housing to serve uh, teachers and paraprofessionals and custodians. All the sorts of folks you need in your community, yet oftentimes those are the individuals who can't afford to rent or buy. Uh, we, we've certainly worked hard to think about assistance for down payments. But unless we build more housing, unless we have something in the production supply, we're not going to be able to uh, ever catch up to what we're seeing, which are just runaway prices. This is one of those things that we don't want to lead the nation in, the cost of housing. And that means working together, I think, with cities, with state resources, and with some of these federal resources, if we can uh, lower the cost of developing housing and put more people in housing within their communities in a stable environment, I think it's going to be good for our long-term economic progress as well. Uh, we really do run the risk of not being competitive if we don't have enough housing affordable to the people who live in our communities. Very well said. And I, I don't know if it's happened out in Salem, but uh, COVID has exposed a lot of our flaws. But it's it's the real estate market in the Berkshires, in particular my district, is exploded. I mean, it's just people – I talked to a young lady yesterday. She got pre-approved for $340,000 uh, to buy a home. She's been outbid 11 times, way above asking uh -huh. price. So th that's been ex exacerbated by this COVID, ironically. So have you, have you felt the same thing in, in your community as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we're seeing, you might be seeing folks coming out, um, coming to the Berkshires uh, to buy second homes too. We're seeing mm. uh, just folks from Somerville, Cambridge, Boston, who want something more affordable coming into our community. We're sort of this hip, historic, vibrant city, which is great, but not so great if you want to try and buy a home here. 
and somebody who's bidding on it feels like thirty, forty, fifty thousand over asking with no contingencies rep. Like yes. that's the other <laughs> thing that's shocking to me. Uh, when my husband and I bought our first home in Salem, it was a two-family. It's all we could afford, right? We scraped together every penny to try and put our down payment there, and um, you just it, that feels so out of reach. We were in our mid twenties. We had recently got married. I have a 24-year-old daughter. Her job is in Waltham. Right now, her apartment is in Midtown Atlanta. They're working from home, not going back. She's checking out a new city. I love the fact that we're doing that when we're in our in our 20s. <laughs> but I also feel like it's a it's a reflection of the fact that she doesn't feel like she's going to be able to afford to grow up and, and to live and buy a home in the community she grew up in. And I think that's a real challenge. We all need to be uh, better understanding how are we going to address this collectively. We want our young people living close to us and certainly able to buy a home. We want our older adults to age in place. And I think we run the risk of this next generation who's coming out with more college debt and higher cost of housing and rising interest rates. They might be the first generation to not do as well as their parents. And we've really got to think about that from a housing perspective. Very interesting. We're, we're here with uh, Kim Driscoll. She's the mayor of Salem and running for uh, lieutenant governor. I have to ask you, uh, Mayor, you know, um, there's been a lot of moving pieces in politics in Massachusetts this year with the governor, lieutenant governor not running, the attorney general running for governor, people running for attorney general, state auditor. Um, I have to ask you, why lieutenant governor? What what do you think your experiences at the local level can uh, bring to the corner office as lieutenant governor? Yeah, thanks so much for that question. As someone who's been a mayor, you know, for 16 years in Salem, I've really seen the opportunity for cities to be successful. And in my estimation, a key to that is really having a strong state partner. Um, whether it's this administration or the one prior, I've had the benefit to work with both of them. And having the lieutenant governor in particular, uh, currently uh, Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito, prior to that Lieutenant Governor Tim Murray, they were liaisons to our communities. They were the folks who could really help you understand what the issues are, dig down. I think there's an opportunity, the fact that I've been a mayor and am a mayor, uh, to also serve a role that's not just a liaison but a strategic partner in helping our communities succeed. And when I uh, was you know, contemplating this opportunity, I really haven't seen folks running either in this spot or even for the gubernatorial um, uh, positions that bring a degree of experience that understand what's necessary in cities and towns for them to be successful. And I truly believe when our cities are working, our Commonwealth is working. And if we're going to be serious about tackling our challenges, whether it's climate change or affordable housing, um, investments in transportation and infrastructure, strengthening our schools. As mayor, I serve on the Salem School Committee as the chair of that board, and a lot of challenges coming out of this pandemic within public education. None of those things are going to be tackled in the way we probably want without action at the local level. So I really feel like I can be that bridge. I can be a strong partner to our next governor uh, and be in a position to not only, you know, help influence the agenda, but hopefully be in a position to help our communities, because I think cities really rely on, it's very much a symbiotic relationship, rely on having support uh, from the state level, not just resources, technical assistance, the power of convening, and sometimes actually getting the state out of the way uh, when, we, when we need to push forward an initiative. So um, I think for, for me, that was what's motivating me to get in this race. And uh, I hope to be a lieutenant governor that can represent, you know, all cities and towns in our Commonwealth and be a real champion for them. You're you're a member, a proud member of the get stuff done uh, wing of government. And I I love to hear that. And um, so what does that mean? How do we cut through the bureaucracy and how do we break through the, you know, sometimes it takes months and years for things to evolve through the state governmental process. How can we cut through that red tape, so to speak, and try to make those uh, key investments in our communities across the Commonwealth? 
you know, when you're in a job like mine, as mayor, I always say there's no hiding, right? Direct accountability. You're not, uh, I'm not fortunate enough to be reelected unless people realize, even when they disagree with a decision coming out of City Hall, that that person has their best interest in mind or the best interest of the community overall in mind. And, and oftentimes, you're relying on bringing people together, folks who voted for you, folks who didn't, members of the private sector who are making investments in your community, your nonprofit institutions who have influence and are really doing a lot of the work to improve the quality of life in the places where people live. And in, in my estimation, I think the lieutenant governor can be um, a convener. Um, we shouldn't be looking at solving problems one community at a time. There's a lot of innovation happening at the local level. How do we amplify that work? Um, we've done work in my community to think about how we can get around better uh, as a city. We want to be car light and car optional. We've got a rideshare service that we started based on an Uber platform that has given over 43,000 rides called Salem Skipper. We've got a car share program that we subsidize. We own our own city ferry that we purchased uh, to help bring people back and forth between Boston and another way. There's a lot of innov- – I'm just – picking on transportation and pointing out that I think there's innovation happening at the local level. And as someone who's been a mayor and been in those trenches, I know the power of convening and the power of bringing people together to learn from each other. And I'm hopeful that that will put me in a position to uh, break through some of that bureaucracy, recognize when, uh, you know, creating a culture of what I say, uh, curiosity, we do not look to do things the same way we did them last year at the local level. We don't pick up trash the way we did 10 years ago. We don't solve crimes the way we did 10 years ago. And creating that um, culture of curiosity and a desire to try things. We're going to fail up sometimes. We're going to try some things and they're not going to work. We're going to try some things that are going to work. COVID really showed us the future. And how do we uh, know, knowing what we know now, whether it's telehealth, virtual meetings, we don't have to deliver public education the same way. But no city or town should be doing that individually. So in this role, I hope I can be a convener, take those local ideas that are working well, that innovation, that curiosity that we're seeing, and bring that to bear with the power uh, that comes out of the state house, resources, coupling, uh, sometimes getting the state out of the way. Um, and, uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, I bring a lens to that that I hope uh, can partner with the legislature, folks like yourself, uh, to advance a, a pro-Massachusetts agenda. As, you, uh, as you've been crisscrossing the state, and I, and I, I think you were up in North Berkshire uh, just the other night, but in, in your travels uh, all across the Commonwealth, are there any common themes or concerns that people share with you from the Berkshires to Cape Cod? Yeah, I'd say there's a handful of items that uh, no matter where I am, I hear about. A housing we talked about, yeah. like just the inability of folks who live and work in communities to stay there, and real concern on all levels, and, and we touched upon that earlier. Uh, workforce challenges whether it's an entry-level job or a highly technical job, uh, whether it's in the Berkshires or in Cape Cod, um, folks are really struggling with finding workers, and much so much so that they're often not able to you know, staff the hours they want to or expand their business in a way that they have business to serve but don't have people in a position to help. Um, certainly climate change. Um, you know, we, I think there's such a recognition that we're not acting deep enough um, or fast enough to address the climate crisis. Um, I hear that in every corner, whether it's a coastal community or a place that has a lot more agricultural or more rural environment. Um, and then the last one just be transportation and infrastructure. Um, it's not working anywhere as well as I think uh, folks would like it to. And it feels like there's been an inspiration gap around how we think about our transportation, not only getting folks you know, back and forth 
uh, to Boston. I know East-West Rail or West-East Rail uh, is something that's high on the agenda, but most people are going to be also needing to get around their own communities and their adjacent communities to go to school, to get to work, to you know carry on the businesses that they have within their family members. And how are we thinking about regional transportation within the hub of where uh, individuals live and travel on a regular basis? That doesn't always involve one person in a vehicle. We've got to reduce these single occupancy vehicle trips. Um, and, and the last piece I would just say is from an infrastructure perspective, as a local official, I know how expensive it is to build a new police station or build a new public works facility or you know, tackle investments in municipal buildings that are really serving people, uh, leading to a positive quality of life, but very expensive to maintain under you know just your real estate tax revenue capacity. So finding resources for that necessary infrastructure um, is high on people's minds as well. I, I'm glad you uh, uh, mentioned West East Rail. I've kind of coined that phrase because <laughs> I, I truly believe this is one of those issues for a, a Commonwealth infrastructure, probably a once-in-a-generation, if not once-in-a-hundred-year investment. If it can't start in the West, I don't believe it's ever going to get to uh, Worcester or Boston. Um, and if we're going to have a Commonwealth system for the entire state, I really believe, much like the Mass Turnpike, which started in the Berkshires, it made it to Boston. I'm just so fearful that if we start down east, it's going to end in Springfield, and the Berkshires and other parts of Western Mass are going to be left out in the cold. So keep saying west-east. <laughs> You're going to gain a lot of support out here in the Berkshires if you keep saying west-east. So I encourage you to do that. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I've asked all the, all the folks that have come on the show, and it's just, if, if you could give yourself one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> what would it be? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I har- I'm one of four girls, and I harken back to uh, all the days of squabbling over who's going to get in the bathroom first. So that, But that's not the piece of advice I give myself. <laughs> you know, I, I think I've learned a lesson uh, both as a, a mayor who's early, early in my term to now. Uh, I think it's an old African proverb that says, you know, if you want to go – if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important that uh, if I was my younger self telling my older self today, slow down, build those coalitions. You know, it's, it's innovative, it's exciting, but when you bring more people along, you're actually going to get there faster uh, in the long run and go further. So uh, that might be my advice. You know, um, working together and collaboratively, uh, those teamwork lessons. I played hoop in both high school and college, and so much of that still guides the way I think about how to how to build for a successful output. That's very important. I, I, I won't give you an African proverb, but I have a Smitty proverb. It's I always call it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but yeah. th- thinking about that in government, and you've been government in a long time, and obviously very effective. Salem's a beautiful community. How do we get more of our colleagues in elected office to think about the next generation more so than the next election? That's going to change the narrative um, of what we do going forward. So how do we change that conversation? You know, I so agree with you on this point. As someone who is a mayor, you need a short game and a long game. And I'm in a historic city. Salem turns 400 in 2026. We're one of the oldest cities in Massachusetts. It's, you know, a quadricentennial is a big milestone. And we're thinking about what kind of city do we want to, you know, have in 2026? What is the the high school student graduating uh, from high school in 2026 going what kind of world are they going to be going into what kinds of skills are they going to need to have uh what's the kindergartner hopefully 
pre-K uh, four-year-old starting in our schools, what, uh, what, are, what should their expectations be? And when you're in a historic city like myself, like, like the one I live in in Salem, it really um, reminds you that you're restored. Somebody was in that place before you, and somebody will be in that seat after you. And they made historic investments. They thought about these amazing places that we still live and love in a way that wasn't just about for today. What are we building you know, for that next generation? And in my mind, um, thinking about the, how, we, how we implement the key initiatives we have, talking about housing or climate change or transportation, none of those things are short gamers. Right? Hmm. If we really are serious about achieving the goals that, frankly, the legislature has set when it comes to things like uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and being a better steward to the planet, it's going to take that kind of a mindset. Yeah. How do we have those milestones and how do we measure that, not based on uh, what we did uh, to cut a ribbon in, in four years, right. but what are we doing that's going to service the next generation of students, the next generation of people who are going to live in our communities? It certainly is a mindset I try to bring to the work, and I think we need to talk about it that way. Um, somebody decided that we were going to have a transportation system that we have now a long time ago, and they made those investments knowing that um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not something you're necessarily going to be the one cutting the ribbon on. Mm. We're here with uh, Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, Massachusetts, and a candidate for lieutenant governor. Um, in our last few minutes, I just want to ask you, I mean, COVID has thrown everybody a curveball the, the last two years. And while we're seeing numbers uh, on the rise again, what I've, we have found in the Berkshires anyways, knock on wood, is that people are not being as hospitalized as they once were. They seem to be more like flu-like symptoms, but the, the, the virus is still out there. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges uh, that we're going to be facing? On you're going to you're, you're, you'll win this election, January you get sworn in. What do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges we're going to have to face from day one? You know, I'm hoping that COVID will be in the rearview mirror and that we're all better prepared to address the pandemic or whatever twists or turns this pandemic will uh, will will hand to us. I actually think Massachusetts, we could have some rough seas ahead. We've got a, a ton of federal resources right now. We've done a really good job, I think, with respect to our economic recovery efforts throughout COVID and have been buoyed by some federal resources. But we're also seeing rising interest rates, um, rising uh, inflation uh, opportunities that, uh, you know, the build out and the growth that we're seeing, it can't stay this high forever. And so being mindful that we may not necessarily have as robust an economy is something that I think is going, the next administration is going to have to, to deal with. I don't think it's going to be a tailspin, but it's not going to be it, a strong likelihood. It may not be the robust sort of resources that we have. And how do we plan for that? How do we make sure as we're using these federal resources, we're not creating you know, any sort of cliff impacts? relative to uh, the use of these resources in areas that are one time or leading to a plan of sustainability going forward. Um, I, I definitely think the housing crisis is not going away. We have got to really work harder on that issue and have uh, a, really a, a plan to leverage public land and, a, frankly, a campaign for people to realize neighbors for more neighbors. We need housing growth and production in our communities in order to support young adults and allowing our uh, older adults to age in place. Um, and I think the climate crisis is right up there uh, with action and doing that backwards planning. If we want to be net zero by 2040, 2050, 2030, we've got to take the, the steps, uh, do the backward mapping to get there. And that involves resources and complexities. A lot of the low-hanging fruit, um, we, we've achieved success there. The rest of the climate change action agenda 
is going to be a bit harder and a bit more complex. And we're going to need not to have this be a hostile environment of public versus private. This really is an opportunity for us to bring together uh, all of the, the, the agencies and our private sector partners to work towards a shared agenda. For folks who are listening, uh, Mayor, uh, who are, want to learn more about uh, your campaign or get involved in your campaign, what, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, best place would go, to go would be kimdriscoll.org. There's all kinds of links to volunteer or get involved, and we'd love assistance. I'm fortunate to have been a mayor in one city. When you're running statewide, it's a much bigger state, as you know, Rep. Signatelli, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, when, you're, when you're running around it uh, and, and having an opportunity to meet with individuals, hear about their issues and concerns, and certainly exchange ideas. Uh, I, I love the work that I do at the local level, and I think it's an experience I can bring to the state house. a sense of urgency, a passion for improving things, for getting stuff done, as you mentioned, and uh, being in a position to hopefully partner with our next governor, partner with the legislature, and really amplify the work at the local level. I, I, I want to go back quickly to your uh, to your housing affordability aspect. And I was really uh, you really piqued my curiosity about you're going to be building homes on school property for maybe the teachers or the frontline staff or whatever. Um, it, will you be building those? Does the community build those, or do you sell that property off? How does that work? I'm really intrigued by that con- that concept. Yeah, I think I will also say we're at the beginning of this discussion. We've worked with the Urban Land Institute on a TAP, a technical assistance panel, identifying some places and locations where that could work. Um, And I think it could take a lot of different formats. One could be you partner with the local housing authority or, or housing nonprofit to build out that housing in many instances, cities don't build housing. It's one of the struggles we have. We need housing, but we aren't the, the, the group that's building and owning and managing housing. That's not a business that we're in, and I, I don't think it would, I'm not recommending that we do that. But there are opportunities to partner. There's a number of housing nonprofits, and also every community has a housing authority. And if you can work in conjunction with those efforts, I think there's a, that's where that, that uh, intergovernmental partnership could really uh, you know, fast-track the opportunity to think about building housing. And for us, you know, the, the concept is it's also a recruiting tool for educators. If you can bring folks into your community uh, in a new role within education and also have a reduced cost of housing for them, shared professional development, it really becomes a learning community as much as it is a housing uh, complex as well. Uh, but the idea of public land is not just tied to schools. There is a ton of state land. There is a ton of city land. And I'm not talking about park or conservation or recreation areas. Land that's in the public domain, and if we could really work hard, if you thought about a building authority almost concept uh, that worked with our our state partners to facilitate the creation of housing in these locations, especially as we think about housing choice and the transit-oriented development aspects of that work, um, I think there's a a real chance for us to uh, implement and incentivize additional housing in a number of our communities. Mayor Kim Driscoll, candidate for lieutenant governor, thank you very, very much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you in the Berkshires and uh, and, uh, and across the Commonwealth. I wish you all the best. Thanks, Rep. Picatelli. Really appreciate it. And uh, I will be throughout the Commonwealth, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. And, Ron, thanks for pushing all the right buttons, keeping us on the air. We'll be back next week with another great show. Until then, be well, be safe, have fun, be happy. Let's all take care of one another, folks. Let's all be Berkshire.